Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Been having a busy couple of weeks. Uh, we last weekend of January we had a Sunday of service where we didn't have our regularly scheduled service. Instead, we did a numerous outreaches in the community. On the Sunday before that, I was out of town recording an album, and so one of the regular members of our teaching team, Penny Murray. Uh, spoke in my absence, and I'm just getting around to actually getting this uploaded. So this is a few weeks late, but a superb message uh, by Penny. This is called, Jesus Preaches Terrible Sermons. With a title like that, how could you not want to listen? Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown coming. Hey guys, good morning. I'm going to, hold on, just in case. I'm, I'm feeling kind of under the weather, so if I get gross or anything, I'm sorry. Okay. Pocket. Do the pocket. All right. If you have your nifty handout, the scripture is on the front page. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to start reading... At verse 14. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heavens was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, And none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, 
drove him out of the town, led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. So my first thought when I read this passage is that filling in for a pastor on a Sunday morning is a tough gig. It, it can be difficult to fill in for a pastor because a church has this special relationship with their pastor. They have this history and this rapport built with him. And they show up week after week, and they're excited to hear what their pastor has to say. So it, it can be tough to show up because you haven't, you haven't built that relationship. You don't have that history with the pastor. I can remember the first time Crispin asked me to speak And I had some pretty insane anxiety leading up to that. (laughs) Faith remembers. Yeah, it it was pretty bad. I can remember staying up the entire night before just trying to get my panic under control. And I had hammered out my message over a month in advance. (laughs) I I, I was playing this game, um, would you rather, as I laid there in bed. And, And the thoughts that were going through my head were, would you rather preach tomorrow morning or have another unmedicated childbirth? Um, Would you rather preach tomorrow morning or change your last name to Hitler? That one is my favorite. Uh, Would you rather preach tomorrow morning or wear wet socks every day for the rest of your life? And that that one, I was like, okay, let's do this. Um... It wasn't, it wasn't my first time speaking in public. That wasn't the problem. It was that it was my first time preaching. And speaking to a church on a Sunday morning, interacting with the scriptures, trying to listen for God's heart, and then communicate all that to people. And oh, by the way, you need to be super authentic and vulnerable. It, it was just a little overwhelming. And I was not prepared for just how terrified I felt leading up to that Sunday. And perhaps, I mean, this sounds a little dramatic, but after reading this passage of scripture, I don't think so. Because Jesus's first sermon to his hometown was a disaster. I I mean, I guess even Jesus can't be good at everything, you know? Well, at our church, we do have a teaching team. And over the years, We've gotten together a few times on weeknights, and we've actually practiced giving messages. You know, you practice your writing, you practice your speaking, and it's great because you get some feedback. You figure out what you do well, and, oh, maybe you should work on this. And, and it can be helpful. And I thought about Jesus and his sermon, and I thought, you know, maybe that's what he needed. He just needed some constructive criticism. Maybe he just needed to practice yeah, get his nerves out. And, and so today what I would like to do is share with you my tips and suggestions for how to give a great Sunday morning talk. And that way, if you ever find yourself in a position where you need to preach, hopefully you'll do better than Jesus did. So that's what we're going to do today. <clears throat> All right, so tip one. You need to pick a good scripture to teach from. Landing a good passage, man, that's, that's just half the battle. Uh, when Crispin texted me to say, hey, will you take this Sunday? The first thing I did was, you know, stop and pray. That's what I would like 
That's what I'd like to tell you, but what I actually did was I went over to the computer, pulled up the lectionary calendar, and I read through what passages were available for this Sunday because it's that important. Then you pray after, after, you, after you find the scripture. Now, Jesus, he landed a great passage. He takes the scroll of Isaiah, and he selects one of the most loved passages of the Jewish people. I mean, if there were football games in the first century, this is the scripture people would have been holding on their giant scrolls. This is their scripture. It is their dream for the future. I mean, it summed up their hope as a people and their cry to God. So Jesus, he's got the He's got the scripture. This thing preaches itself. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. This is the time when God is going to set everything right that is wrong. Finally, God's people would be rescued. Finally, they're going to find justice. Finally, the promises of God for God's people would be realized. This, this is the gospel hope, guys, for every Jew. Freedom from physical, spiritual, economic, political oppression and bondage. God's shalom in his wholeness, his harmony, in all aspects of life. Good scripture. Tip two, know the content of your message. And here's where I've got to give Jesus a hard time. Um, comes from a place of love, and Jesus knows my heart. So I know he can handle this. When Jesus read his passage, he actually cut off the tail end of the scripture. He just, he just threw out part of the passage. And I know this, this probably sounds a little nitpicky, but it's not because it was a really important part of the scripture. And every good Jew in the first century would have totally picked up on this. It would have been, it would have been like I'm quoting John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes. It's killing me not to finish it, right? You feel it. You're like, okay, just get the rest out. That, That tension, that kind of anxious anxiety, that waiting, that's what Jesus's audience would have been feeling. So I'm going to read the Isaiah passage again, but I'm going to put in what Jesus cut out. Are you ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God. Okay. Jesus edited out a declaration of vengeance upon Israel's enemies. Who forgets that? I mean, some people might argue that's kind of the best part. Israel was suffering and being oppressed 
and being occupied by pagan foreign powers. And they were looking not just for freedom, but it was time for some payback. They were waiting for God to send a Messiah who would not just free them, but show them what happens when you mess with God's people. So cutting this out, man, Jesus, what happened here? You know, maybe he was nervous. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it. I feel it now. You know, sometimes, sometimes you just stop reading too soon. I, we've, we've all been there, right? Or maybe Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Maybe editing out the vengeance from the scripture was entirely intentional. Let's move on. Tip three. Be mindful of how long you speak. Now, I know we've all done this at least a time or two where you, you walk out of here on a Sunday morning and you're going, what, what did Crispin say? Um, you know, when I speak, I try really hard to keep my talk within a very specific time frame. That's just me, though. Um, I do this... I do this because the human attention span is very short. In fact, it's much shorter than even I realized because Time Magazine published an article last year showing that uh, research now shows that the human attention span is eight seconds long. (laughs) And then it just got better. Um, It went on to say that uh, the attention span of the notoriously ill-focused goldfish is nine seconds long. (laughs) Now, before the year 2000, we actually did have a longer attention span than a goldfish. It was a whopping 12 seconds. Um, They mark the year 2000 as the year of the mobile revolution. So... It's our smartphones that are to blame. They're to blame for everything these days, aren't they? Yeah. So that's uh, short attention spans. So Jesus, he just, being the son of God, knew this 2,000 years before this research was released, and he kept his sermon very short. Jesus rolls up that scroll. He sits down, and he says, Today, this text is fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. Today, the day of the Lord's favor, it's here. It's happening. Jesus, so direct, so efficient. I I think it worked. So good job, Jesus. Tip four, part of giving a great talk is knowing what not to say. Now, it seemed as if Jesus had given the people exactly what they wanted. He knew these people. This this was his tribe. This is his hometown. He grew up here. His friends, his family, man, he knew. He knew that their hearts and their souls longed for God's salvation, his healing, his restoration. He knew that they were crying out for God to move, not some you know, distant day, but today. The year of the Lord's favor, God's acting here and now. And the people, I mean, they were responding. They're like, oh my gosh, is that, is that Joseph's son? He's, he's got their attention. And at that point, he could have just 
thrown down that mic and walked off the stage. But here is the point of this story where things just fly off the rails. I'm sorry, Jesus. But, okay. First, he starts getting a little sarcastic. He makes this really odd comment like, hey, bet you want to see the miracles, right? You can't handle the miracles. I'm not here to do miracles. Today I'm here as a prophet, and I'm here to tell you the truth. Okay. Yeah, I bet that got their attention. And then he just keeps going. He tells them two stories. And in each of these stories, God is bringing blessing. The problem is he's bringing it to the wrong people. In the first story, God sends the prophet Elijah to a widow, and he miraculously provides food and drink for this widow every day until the end of a drought. It's a beautiful, moving story of God's grace. The problem is this widow is not a Jew. She is a religious outsider, and she is a foreigner. I mean, come on, were there not any good Jewish widows who needed food and water? The entire nation of Israel is hungry and thirsty. And yet, the prophet is only sent to a widow in Zarephath. And then Jesus just keeps going with this. He brings up Naaman, a pagan and the general of a foreign army who had leprosy. And Naaman goes to the prophet Elisha. And while there were plenty of people in Israel who needed God's healing, it's only Naaman who receives the healing power of God. So when we think about these stories in their context, it makes perfect sense why these weren't exactly popular stories to hear. So let's, let's recap a little bit. First, Jesus excludes vengeance from the Isaiah passage. And then he begins kind of provoking people telling them that they can't accept the message he has for them. And then he gives examples of Elijah and Elisha displaying God's power among foreign outsiders, the very people who were expected to receive God's vengeance. So what is happening here? What is Jesus doing in this story? The theologian Michael Harden, he sums up Jesus' sermon this way. He says, in short, Jesus is saying to his synagogue hearers, Jubilee is here, but not only for you. It's also for those you hate. In fact, God goes to your oppressors with this message of Jubilee, deliverance, and salvation. He is, in effect, saying, God is not like you think, loving you and angry with those you hate. brings us to my final tip for a successful sermon. Try not to get thrown off a cliff. Jesus's audience was enraged at his message. They became so angry and worked up that they formed a mob, drug him out of the service all the way to the edge of town and attempted to throw him off a cliff. I heard a story once about a pastor who was leading a uh, a study group. And she asked the participants, who has been like Jesus in your life? Just, 
beautiful question to think about. And so each person began to share stories of who had inspired them, who had really helped them grow in the faith until the very last woman. And the pastor asked her, well, you know, who's been like Jesus to you? And she sat there and said, you know, I'm trying to think of someone who has told me a truth so difficult to hear that I actually wanted to kill them for it. We, we love to talk about how the truth is going to set us free, but I think we forget just how much the truth can rattle our cages first. Jesus' hometown, the people who had watched him grow up, just a few minutes ago were thrilled to have him speaking in their service were now trying to kill him. We all love to hear about God's love for us and how we are chosen and we are accepted and we crave freedom and salvation and affirmation from God. And man, we raise our hands when we hear God is with us and he's on our side. But what if What if God's understanding of who belongs to him is so much bigger than we ever imagined? The psalmist says that the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the entire world and all who live in it. Which makes me ask the question, what if God is concerned not just about us, but the people we're afraid of? What if God claims more people as his children and extends healing and mercy to people we did not expect, people who are not like us, people who do not share our traditions, our nationality, our culture, our beliefs, our doctrines, our values, people who have angered us, people who have hurt us, people who fall outside the boundary lines that we have worked so diligently to draw up? What if God loves our enemies as much as he loves us? Jesus' hometown was not able to accept a Messiah who erases boundary lines, who critiques our perceptions of the world, a Messiah who reveals a God who would set things right through his mercy and his love. And when Jesus exposes their desire for vengeance, That vengeance is turned around and aimed directly at him. So what I always like to ask when we encounter a story like this is, where do we find ourselves? Where are we in this story? Because as people who say, man, we we desire to follow Jesus with our everyday lives, we want to participate in what God is doing in his way, of restoration and making all things new. What do we learn from this story? The Franciscan priest Richard Rohr says that the more we can put together, the more we can forgive and allow, the more we can include and enjoy. Man, that's That's when we're living in the spirit of Jesus. But the more we need to reject and oppose and deny and exclude and eliminate, the more we are opening ourselves up to negative and destructive voices and to our own worst instincts. 
Jesus's ministry is not to gather up the so-called good in a private little country club. But it's to reach out to those who are on the edge and on the bottom, those who have been marginalized or excluded by society, the poor, the imprisoned, the blind, the downtrodden. Jesus is our model. He's our model of healing, outreach, and reconciliation. He is the ultimate man of the spirit. So today, I ask that we remember that Jesus is not just the Savior of you and me and people we can relate to, but the incarnate Christ, the image of the invisible God, is the Savior of the world. And remember that we've been called to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be Jesus in the world, living his life, and loving and serving those he loved and served, pouring out mercy and compassion on those who need it most. So I want us to close together, actually, if y'all would stand with me. At the bottom of the back page of the handout, there's a prayer. And I would just like us to pray this together. God of every land and nation, you have created all people and you dwell among us in Jesus Christ. Holy God, you gather the whole universe into your radiant presence and you continually reveal your son as our savior. Bring healing to all wounds. Make whole all that is broken. Speak truth to all illusion and shed light in every darkness, that all creation will see your glory and know your Christ. Listen to the cries of those who pray to you, and grant that, as we proclaim the greatness of your name, all people will know the power of love at work in the world. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, that's, that's it for today. If you would like prayer, we've, we've got prayer team people. We'd love to pray for you. And stay warm. We'll see, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>